beautiful people. Hey man, welcome to our online people all over. It's just good to have you here. Thanks for being with us and tuning in wherever you're at. And I don't know about y'all, but golly, man, we have the greatest worship team I, I even know about. So, um, wow, that was something. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought through this a little bit, but I've been fascinated uh, through the years by paying attention to uh, pre-game rituals, and you probably know what I'm talking about. It's, it's kind of those strange, uh, sometimes kind of really weird things that people do before they do their main thing. So maybe an actress does something before she shoots a scene, or maybe a, a surgeon does something before they, you know, slice you up or something. But it, it's different things that people do before they do their main thing. And there ain't nobody weirder than athletes, okay? Their pregame rituals are crazy town, okay? Some of you might remember Brian Urlacher, a famous football player with the uh, Chicago Bears. This guy was a monster on the field. What you might not know is before every single game, he was a cookie monster. He ate two Girl Scout cookies before every game. Not one, not a dozen, two Girl Scout cookies before every game. I'm gonna tell you right now, they weren't tag-alongs because there ain't no way you can just eat two of those, baby. You're eating a whole box. But it worked, okay? Ends up in a Hall of Fame in crazy. Uh, Rafael Nadal, the great Spanish tennis player, uh, points the label of his water bottle toward the side of the court where he is playing right then. Pay attention next time you see him uh, on the court in a match and when they change sides, watch him, he'll get a drink. He will turn the water bottle to where, uh, why? Working 22 Grand Slam championships, okay? Jason Terry might need to be admitted to a psychiatric ward. It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. The night before a game, he would sleep <laughs> in the shorts of his opponents. So if they're in Detroit, man, he finds some piston shorts and puts them on, okay? Somebody say, weirdo. Okay, 19 seasons in the NBA. Apparently it's working. Now, just so you know, preachers have pregame rituals too. You might not know that. One of my buddies, who's in heaven now, total truth here, preached for years up in Scottsburg, and right before he preached, many, many, many weekends, right before he preached, right around communion time, he would go backstage, he had a bucket there where he threw up. That was his thing, okay? Just got it all out, all the nerves threw up, okay? Preaching is a beautiful, beautiful thing, okay? Now, I don't have crazy things like that. I, I just don't have those. Um, I kind of get my Bible ready, get my notes ready, pray, you know, God, please preach through me because if I preach on my own, this is really gonna be bad. So I spend time doing that. Uh, thanks to my uh, preaching professor in college, I have one little tiny ritual that I do every single time I preach. And uh, Dr. John Webb taught us that besides being prepared to preach right before you come up, make sure that your socks and your zipper are in the up 
position. So I do that before I ever come up here every single time, just to make uh, sure, okay? So high-priced education, that's what, that's what you end up. Now, for the next four weekends, I'm gonna do a ritual. I'm gonna do it in front of you, just take me a minute to do it. I'm gonna add a ritual uh, before I preach. Every weekend, for four weekends, I'm gonna do it, and um, it's really important, and by the time I'm done today, hopefully you're gonna, you're gonna have an idea of why I'm doing it. But what I'm gonna do before I preach is I'm gonna reach down under here, and I have a boat anchor that I'm gonna place right here. And we'll do that for four weekends. And that's incredibly important because I want us to spend some time and talk about drift. And you're gonna see that come up on the screen here, hopefully, there we go, okay? And I want us to spend a little bit of time of diving into the concept of drift, and I want you to hear me. I, 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 hope, I hope in this message that there's gonna be some things that are very convicting, and I hope there's a few things that we'll laugh at and have some fun, and I hope you learn some things, but right now I want you to hear me because I'm serious about this. And we're in a moment right now as a church that I want everybody to kind of zoom in and understand the nature and seriousness of this moment right here. It has been my heart for years and years since I've been doing what I do that this weekend is one of my favorite weekends of all time. Because I get to come back after my study session and I'm excited and I got a lot of stuff and I've kind of been on the mountain with God for a while. And, and I, I've often thought about that, that when I come back the second week in September, the first, however, however it works out, that I, I wanna come back with something that's gonna grab the heart and attention of our people. And so our first series is a really big deal to me. And so I will normally spend for three, four months thinking about what that first series is gonna be, and then in August I'll kinda cipher through it and figure it all out. But I've, I've been thinking now for a number of months about what we would talk about starting today and the prompting of the spirit within me. I'm serious about this. And I, I didn't hear voices, okay? I didn't see anything written on the wall. I know some of y'all might, you know, that's your thing. So awesome if you've got that going on sometimes. I, I, my experience is sometimes it's just a bad taco, okay? But I, I didn't get any of that, but I, I've been around long enough to know and understand what the prompting of the Spirit feels like. And so for a, a number of months, my mind has just kept coming back to drift. And every time I'd kind of push away from it and think about something else, there was, there was just some kind of a prompting where I really believed that the Holy Spirit was saying, we, Eastside, we, we need to talk about this. We need to invest some time and see what this means. And drift is something that happens to all people at various times in their life, and it happens in all kinds of different life experiences. There's just not one little area where it tends to happen. We experience it 
on a normal basis, and often when it happens, we don't even realize that it's going on. Anybody here, don't raise your hand because it'll be embarrassing for you, but anybody here ever walking in your house and you, you walk past a full-length mirror and you stop and you look and you go, what in the world happened, huh? <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. Drift happened, okay? You didn't earn that overnight, okay? Drift happened. And sometimes in more of a heartbreaking aspect, you might remember there was a time where you and him or you and her, I mean, you were just the best friends ever, man. You told everything to everybody and, and just they were, your, they were your peeps, man. You were, you were just good friends or some of us in this room might remember those early days of marriage, man. You just wanted to be together all the time. And, and now you look at some of the relationships in your life and instead of that stuff going on, there, there seems to be a distance and maybe a, a division and some tension and you think, okay, that's where we were and that's where we are. And, and what, what happened there? What happened? Drift happened. And so what I want to zero in on for about a month here is I want to talk about spiritual drift. And this is what spiritual drift is. I want you to see it. It is a slow, sometimes totally unnoticed, it is a, a slow movement away from a healthy relationship with God. And this is why I think, I really do, I think, I think this is why that when I've prayed and when I've studied and just talked to leaders in our church over the last several weeks and months, this is why I think the prompting of the Spirit has continually brought me back here. Because at no time in my life, and I've been around for a while, at no time in my life, my, my life is spirituality. It's not just what I do for a living, I breathe it, I eat it, I think about it all the time, and at no time have I ever noticed, please hear me, a greater tendency for Christians to drift spiritually than what I am observing right now. This is where we're living as people and saints in the kingdom of God. And so I think all of that together is, is why this kind of churning in my spirit says that when we gather back together in September, it'd be great to do something fun and you know, all that good. And, and God says, but we've got to deal with this. Now I want you to know that God was never surprised by this happening. It kind of caught me off guard. I didn't see this coming in recent years, but God is never surprised. He knew that all of us would have an issue with spiritual drift. He knew that. And, and so in his word, if you're familiar with it and spend much time in it, you know that you come across all the time in different parts of the Bible where God seems to be addressing spiritual drift. And you see words like endurance, persistence, perseverance, continue, remain. Those are anti-drift words. And they're flooded in his word because God knows that we'll probably have to deal with this a little bit. 
And if anybody's in the room and you're still with me in this, you're right now you're thinking, I know about that. I've been there, I've wondered if I'm there, and God was never surprised by any of it. Let me give you some real simple examples of how, how, how this idea of drift comes up in the Bible and God tends to confront it. Uh, Jesus spoke about it one time in Matthew 10, 22. Look what he said. He said, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Watch this. You don't get to the end if you drift. Jesus brought it up. The author of the Hebrews letter dealt with it. In in a fascinating way, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it's fascinating because if you're a Bible person, you know that the 11th chapter is this long list of men and women of incredible stories, man, who never drifted. They never, never drifted. And that's all chapter 11. And then he gets to chapter 12, verse 1, and he says... Everything they did, you do. And here's how he said it. So let us run with perseverance. The race that's marked out for us. So that is an anti-drift word. About a month from now, we're gonna start our, our Revelation study again online. And so we did the first half of it, the first 11 chapters, and we took a little break, and now we're going to do the other half of it. And if you were with us in the first half of it, you know how many times in those lessons that point came up, came up in Revelation 1 11. God's saying, don't quit, keep it going, persevere, don't drift. And what you're going to find out when we get to the second half of it starting in October, same message is going to happen. It's all through the book of Revelation. Don't drift. Here's an example that we're gonna come across when we hit chapter 14. It says, this calls, watch this, patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. So God knew about this. God knew that we might deal with spiritual drift. It's a real danger. And so the only conclusion that anybody can make right now if you've got an ounce of love for God is to say, how can I make sure that never happens to me? And if you're drifting, if you know that you're on that drift right now, or if you're online and you're saying, dude, I am online because I drifted. If you're in the middle of that, the question is, how can I get back to that? How can I get back where I'm going to be? And I want you to hear, there's an answer to that. There's an answer of how to prevent drift, and there's an answer how to fix drift. Watch, watch. It is this anchor. This is it. This is it. And so you might say, what, what, do, you, what do you mean by that, Dave? Anchors give you a drift-proof life. And if you found yourself drifting, the reason is because of a disconnection to the anchor. Let me, let me tell you a story that's in the Bible. 
It's toward the end of the book of Acts, okay? And the apostle Paul, we talk about him, everybody knows about him, and he is on his way to Rome. And so the the book of Acts kind of ends abruptly with Paul in Rome. He just kind of, bump, it's over with, okay? Kind of like a movie like that. And so toward the end of the book, they are on the way to Rome, and they're in a ship on the Adriatic Sea, and something happens while they're on the sea heading to Rome. And it comes up at the end of the book of Acts. And what happens is that they start taking soundings of how deep the water is and they're realizing in the middle of the night that they are getting close to the shore and all the rocks, they think the the ship's gonna break up. They think it's bad news. And so Paul writes about this and uh, he says it's in the middle of the night, it's about midnight. He said, we've been out here for 14 days. You can read it in chapter 27 and we start realizing we are drifting toward the rocks, danger. And so you have this verse, this this fascinating verse to me. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, watch this, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. Anchors saved their life. Now I know I feel bad about this. I know that I'm pulling that out of context for the message, okay? That has nothing, this verse has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Absolutely nothing. And I'm doing what I tell you, don't ever do. Don't take something out of context. I get all that. I understand all that. But the principle in that verse is the principle that I am presenting this month. And here's the principle, I want you to look at it in this box, let's put that up there. When danger is on the horizon due to the drift, anchors will correct the problem. And so what I wanna do this month is I wanna introduce you to four anchors. Those anchors will prevent you from drifting. You cannot detach yourself from these anchors. If you walk away from these anchors, you will drift. And so here at Eastside, we're in this this period of time where we're, we kind of have this vision of, we call it living your next. And so we've been, you've been hearing us talk about that a lot. Neil said that earlier today in our service, live your next. And so the idea is to always be aware of what the next thing is God wants in your walk, your spiritual journey with him. And I'm gonna make a prediction. I just feel really strong about this, that sometime in the next four weeks, and it might happen for you right here, you're gonna find out that one of these anchors is your next. That I gotta deal with that anchor because I have detached myself from it. So with all that as kind of an introduction, let me bring you together and let me say this. Let's talk about anchor number one. And you're gonna find out when we dive into this that there are, there are some of us who need to hear this. I am imploring our online community to hear this. I was so pleased when I was walking around a little bit earlier and kind of saying hi to some people I hadn't seen for a while, greetings. I was so pleased to see how many young people in the room tonight. Young people, listen to me. If you're under 25 years old, would you please listen to me? 
you gotta know about this anchor. Because the world that you're being raised in right now is going to ignore that. And I don't have to deal with it, man. I'm gonna be on the beach in heaven, okay? But you're gonna have to deal with it, young people. And what you hear tonight may very well put you on a trajectory of positive impact for the kingdom of God for the rest of your life. If you ignore it, it will hurt you. And so what is this first anchor? This first anchor can be identified with one word. It is to be anchored to truth. And I want you to see how I kind of define that, what I mean by being anchored to truth. And it comes to this point. I know what's right, and I know what's wrong, and I will not be moved from it. That's being anchored to truth. And you gotta deal with that all kinds of times in your life. It probably comes up on a daily basis, and we don't realize that it's happening. It, it happened um, to our family uh, a few days ago. Uh, we were able to worship with one of our kids lives out of town, and so uh, we went to church with, with him and his family, and we had a great time, and, and his preacher is one of the greatest communicators in America. This guy is off the charts, unbelievable, and he preached a message. We were sitting out there listening to it, and it was, it was just tremendous. It was fabulous, okay? If you heard it, you'd fire me tomorrow and offer him the job, okay? But I, I'll tell you what, he ain't coming here. But anyway, incredible, incredible message. And what it was, was about marriage. And what he said in the beginning of it, he said, I'm going to tell you the one thing biblically, I'm going to show you in the Bible, there's one principle in the Bible that if you figure it out, your marriage is going to be incredible, it's going to be uh, just, just a totally nirvana, man, it's going to be, a, but you got to do this one principle. And he preached a whole sermon about that one principle. And I'll tell you what it was in about 90 seconds. There's a whole great big passage of scripture about marriage in the Bible. It's the biggest place in the whole, whole Bible where it talks about marriage, all kinds of stuff about marriage. And what the preacher did that day is he talked about the opening sentence of all of it. It's the introduction. And what it says is learn to live this way. Learn to live in submission to each other. And so here's what he called it. He called it a marriage of mutual submission. It's not a marriage where, okay, here's what I want, here's what you're gonna do, that's what's gonna happen, okay? It's not that. It is, mutual submission is, what, what, what do you want? What would you like? That's what we wanna do. And see, guys in the room, you thought the Bible said you're in control. Am I right? Okay, guys are just looking right at me, they're going, dude, don't put me on the spot. You know that? And, and ladies, what are you being told in our world today? Rise up, take over. You know you're hearing that. And what the preacher said, it ain't neither one of those. It's, it's, it's everybody submitting to everybody else. And he called it this. He said, live in a spirit, I love this, where I defer. I defer to you. So go home tonight if you're married and look at your spouse say, Baby, I defer to you, okay? Whatever you want, I defer to you. Now, I've been married for forever. Um, I've been a pastoral counselor in marriage settings, and I can tell you that if you figure that out, 
It'll change your marriage. If you figure out how to live in that spirit of mutual submission, it'll be absolutely incredible. You live in a spirit of deferral. And so we, we worshiped in this church. We heard that. And so we went out and had lunch. We're having lunch, man. We're on the beach. It's beautiful. And so I thought, ah, uh, you know, I think I might cause a fight here. So let me rally something up. And so I started talking about the sermon. And we all thought, man, it was great. And I said, man, it was incredible. I'm a preacher. It was tremendous. And then I said this, but I think, <laughs> I think he oversimplified it a bit. What are you talking about? I said, well, it sounds all good about this deferral. You know, I defer to you, you defer to me. Oh, everything's awesome. But what if you can't defer? What if they want you to do something that goes against your conscience? What if they want you to do something that you know is wrong? And how do you defer there? So, so he wants A and she wants B. And, and they're two different things, and there are no deferrals. And so the answer around the table was, well, that's when we compromise. When anybody says that, I know you ain't been in a good marriage fight yet, okay? I know that immediately. Now, that sounds great. Let's compromise, and sometimes that works. But if you're honest with yourself, you know there are times there is no compromise. There's nothing in the middle. And so I brought it up in case they didn't know. I said, okay, here's the scenario. So I'm talking to my daughter-in-law and I'm talking to my wife. And I said, so here's the deal. Your husbands, so I'm one of them, and I'm looking at my son, say he's the other one. And he's over there going like, dude, do not bring me into this. So I said, okay, so we come home and we announce to you, we have this incredible opportunity, life-changing opportunity. We are moving to Toledo, Ohio. I don't know why I said Toledo just came out, okay? We're going to Toledo, Ohio. And I looked at both those ladies and said, you going to Toledo, Ohio? And they, they had no desire whatsoever to go to Toledo, Ohio, okay? We're not going to Toledo, Ohio. And I said, that's my point, okay? A is Toledo, B is stay where you're at. And there, there ain't nothing in the middle, okay? It's, it's we're going to Toledo, or we're going to Ohio. So I looked at those girls and I said, what are you gonna do? Your husband is announced you're going to Toledo. In his mind, it's the best thing that's gonna happen. Here's what my beautiful, sweet, gentle bride said. I'll go to Toledo, but I'm going with an attitude. <laughs> oh yeah, that'll work really good, won't it, huh? Actually, she described that, and she was exactly right in her answer. And so, talk to me privately, and I'll, I'll help you out with that. But she was fed on. But she started with, you know, uh, okay. So we see. And, and what we ended up with there is a scenario that we all hit from time to time, and that is, how do you decide what is right and what is wrong when you arrive in those situations in life? How do you do that, Christian? How do you do that? And the way you do that is the anchor. Because the anchor of truth is the perfect word of God. And what you're gonna find out, I'm gonna show you this happening in the Bible, that that aspect came up in a very important place in the Bible, and it is incredibly important that you know about it if you wanna follow Jesus. 
It, it happened in this really cool place in the Bible. And so there's this guy named Paul. We talk about him all the time. You know that. And he writes a letter to this guy named Timothy. And it's a really cool letter because Paul's kind of an older preacher and Timothy's a younger preacher. And so Paul wrote to Timothy to kind of give him advice on how to be a good minister of the church where he ministered to. And so it was so important for an older guy to say to the young guy, hey, let me give you some tips, that he wrote two letters. That's why in your Bible it's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And in the second letter, in the third chapter, so Paul's kind of winding things down in his counsel to this young preacher about some things he can do in his own walk with God and those things he can teach his church so that they can learn them. And he's winding it all down and he talks to him about the anchor of truth. And he brings up the anchor of truth, the word of God, because he knows that Timothy is a minister or your people that you minister to. If you drift from the anchor of truth, that will be devastating to you in your walk with God. And so here you and I are dealing with that in our culture right now, and we go back to this ancient text, and Paul brings this up. Now I'm going to show you how he brought it up. It won't take us long, and it's going to be, I hope, very, very eye-opening to you and convicting about why this is so important. So it happens in the third chapter, and here's what Timothy does in this third chapter. I'll make it really simple to understand. He talks about two groups of people. And the first part of the third chapter, he talks about one group of people, and these people are not walking with God. They're not living for God, okay? And then he talks about a second group of people, and the second group of people is Timothy, the preacher, and his church who are trying to live for God. And so first half are these people not walking with God, and second half are these people who are trying to walk with God. My guess is you're in the second half. You wouldn't be here. And so you open up the third chapter, and what I want to do is I want to read for you what he said to the first group. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I just want to read it, want you hear it, make a few comments about it, and then the power is what he says to the second group. So let me read for you what he says in the first group. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It starts this way. But mark this. Now, I can't read that without shaking a little bit, because um, my dad didn't use those terms, but he said the same thing. I'd close my eyes and see it. And his terms were, eyeball me, boy. Okay, anybody had a dad like that? Okay, eyeball me. And what he was saying is, this is important. Don't miss this, this is big. So mark this. He said, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now some of y'all, know that there's places in the Bible where it talks about last days. And so when the last days come, man, there's going to be terrible times. It's going to be really bad. And, and so we kind of think, okay, when's the last days, you know? You, you ever hear crazy stuff going on in the world and you think, dude, we are in the last days. Anybody? Huh? Okay. Um, I, had a, I had a tea and a bowl of soup at four o'clock today 
at a, at a restaurant in the area that specializes in tea, but I'm not going to tell you where it was, okay? And two of the young people work there got in a fist fight in the middle of the restaurant. And I thought, Lord Jesus, we're in the last days. Okay, you, so you probably have been there, okay? But that's not what last days means in the Bible. Because there's places in the Bible where in the Old Testament they say we're in the last days. When the New Testament kind of started in around 30, they said, we're the last days. This book here written much later is saying, okay, last days still to come. So when, when in the world is the last days? The term last days in the Bible means, it's just a metaphor that as we get closer and closer to the end, watch this, as we get closer and closer to the end, things are gonna be worse. They're gonna keep getting worse. And he tells us, What's gonna make it worse? You know what's gonna make it worse? People. People are gonna make it terrible. Look at the person next to you right now and say, you are terrible. Just tell them, you are terrible. And that's what he's saying, is that as we go along, people are gonna make our existence terrible. And let me read for you how he describes how they make it terrible. But mark this, it'll be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind of people who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. I feel like I'm reading some of y'all Twitter accounts. Huh? So, you're right now you're thinking, okay, where's all this going, Dave? Where's all this happening? Well, chapter three, he's ending the conversation. Remember, he wants to give advice to young Timothy and his church who are trying to live for God. That's us, that's us. And he says, let me tell you about these people first. And we say, yeah, we know them. Saw them at McAllister's last night. Well, I wasn't gonna say that word. Well, so then he, <laughs> he, he gets to the second section, okay, where he's talking about Timothy and his, and his people, man. He's talking about us. And I want you to hear what he says. You ready for this? Okay, Joe, me and you, brother, we're talking, okay? You ready for this? Because I don't know if you're ready for this. So second section, he starts talking about this other group of people. And he says this, and I just, I just want you to see a couple real little tiny things that you can miss if you're just casually reading. But he, but he says, this, I'm gonna put them up here on the screen so you can say. In the 10th verse, he says, you, however, and then four verses later, he comes back to that, but as for you, 
What, what's that mean? That's why you always read the Bible in context. You always do that. And what he's saying is that you are to be different than the first group. You're different. You're not like them. Nothing about you is like that group. Nothing. And if you're around East Side at all, you know that you hear that all the time because we are not to be like the world. When those of us inside here start looking like those who are outside of here, then we have a problem. Our job is to conform our lives to Jesus, not to conform our lives to how the world lives their lives. And so Paul shouts it from the mountaintop in the second half of the third chapter when here's how the world is living, but you, but you, you, however, you, however, you are different. And so the answer that comes on the heels of that is what's different. Now, now if you don't, you don't stay with me in the next few minutes, you completely wasted your time listening to this point because this message kind of builds to a crescendo and the crescendo is what's supposed to be different between us and them? What's the difference? And, and, and it's kind of, you, you look at it and you think, well, duh, man, it's really simple. I mean, just look at it. First group was ungrateful, so let's be thankful. First group unforgiving, so let's be full of grace. First group disobedient to parents, let's honor our parents here. First group abusive to women, let's be respectful of women. Duh, it's really simple, but that's too easy. That's way too easy. Because all those things, listen carefully, all those things, how we're dealing with our parents and how we're rude, all that kind of stuff is only the effect, the result of what's different about us. And so what's different? And Paul brings it to light that there is one difference among us from those who do not walk with God. There's only one difference. Let me show you how he says it. But as for you, we already looked at that, continue. You see that? Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. You say, Dave, what's it talking about? And if we read the rest of the third chapter, we would find two different times that Paul talks about what we have learned and what we have been convinced of and what he describes it as the sacred writings. That's the word for word in the Greek language, the sacred writings. Many of your Bibles translate it with holy scriptures. And what he's talking about 
is this. Watch, watch! The anchor. Timothy, stay there. Don't be moved from there. Dive there and never move from there because the first group, watch, now it all makes sense. Everything we see on the news, everything we see in social media, every crazy thing we see happening in the world, now all of a sudden you and I understand what's going on because the first group, watch, don't miss it, watch this, the first group, they done left that. They done drifted away from it. They went on from that to new things and better things and bigger things in their mind. But you, Timothy, you, Timothy's church, you, Eastside, stay there. Do not drift from the word particularly when you live in a culture as the last days occur where they will go way past the word and they will be ignorant of the word and they will stand against the word and they will say, we don't need the word. But you, you continue there, stay there, don't move from there, you must not drift from the truth. I find it a fascinating study that's boring for most people, and sometimes it bores me too, about who wrote the book of Hebrews. You know much about the Bible, you know, that's kind of debatable. We don't know, because his, his or hers, whoever wrote it, their name isn't in the book. But there's a lot of people who think it was the Apostle Paul who wrote it. And one of the reasons they think it was is because some of the things he said in other books that we know he wrote seem really similar to some things we see in Hebrews. So if Paul wrote this over here, and then we see about the same thing in Hebrews, we go, eh, same dude wrote those. Let me show you something in Hebrews chapter 2. This sounds really like Paul. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. What have we heard? The truth. Now, why, why do we have to do that? Watch. So that we do not drift away. Now, let me be blunt. And let me be kind of stern about, I don't know if stern's the word, but... I am incredibly amazed the number of Christian people that I come across who have proudly, openly drifted from that anchor. And so, Dave, how can I make sure that, that I'm attached there? How can I do it? I'm going to give you two little simple 
things that you'll, you'll remember them. They're really easy to remember. And if these things are happening in your life, then you know that you are staying on the truth. And if these things are not happening, then they are indications that you probably at least have begun to drift away from that anchor. So let me give you a couple things about Scripture. Here's, here's the first one, is that Scripture should be your go-to. So when you're trying to figure out right or wrong, when you're trying to figure that out, when you're trying to figure out what's good, what's bad, A, B, red, blue, when you're trying to make a decision, what do I do in this moment? Your go-to, your go-to, did God give me counsel about what I'm experiencing? That's my go-to. And what concerns me about those of us in the kingdom of God, and I'm as guilty as anybody who's hearing my voice right now, is the times in our life when we're trying to figure out A, B, right, wrong, what's best, what should I never do, trying to sort through all that in our life and the various circumstances that we run into, and we ask everybody what they think about it rather than the word of God. So we want to know what our friends are saying about it. And we want to know what media is promoting. We want to read what's going on in the social world. We want to find out what science says. We want to know what our political party says. We want to listen to the school board. And I want to shout, as Paul shouted in 2 Timothy 3, how about reading the Bible? And so just ask yourself, whenever you run across something, is your go-to, your first go-to, is it scripture? Now, anybody in the room right now who is honest about that and says, Dave, I, I don't know that it is, man. I think of all kinds of different things and talk to all kinds of people and read all kinds of stuff, but I don't always say, okay, I wonder what God says. If you're being honest about that, let me, let me say this, in love but in challenge, that is indication that you have drifted from that anchor. Now, if you settle this, okay, that's going to be my go-to. The next indication that you're attached is that you go no further. Now, now watch. Here's how we do it. And you know we do it, okay? Okay, I'm going to do the go-to. I'm going to find out, God, did you say anything about what I'm dealing with right now? And we open it up and says, God said, yeah, I did. Forgive him. We say, I ain't doing that, dude. I'm moving on, okay? Now I'm going to go find somebody else to justify the wrong that I want to do. You see, an indication that you are staying there, you're not progressing beyond that, the indication is that once you determine what God has said, that's the end of the matter. And so if God says forgive, then I forgive. And if God says there are boundaries on sexuality, I don't kind of rally up all the reasons why we can go beyond that nowadays. If you find yourself having to go further beyond what the word of God is saying, then that is indication that you are in drift mode. So here's my challenge, is walk out of here and we really think about this. My go-to and my go no further and so my question is, are you there?
Because if you're not, you will drift. A number of years ago when our children were just little kids, we were the recipients of some very kind and generous people. And they gave us their lake house for a weekend, and they gave us their pontoon boat for the weekend. And so uh, we went down there as a family of five, and, and um, me and my bride and our little kids. And man, we had a blast. And we're out on the lake one day, and it was just a perfect day, man. It was beautiful. It was in the fall. And we're just having a ball and, and going around in the pontoon boat. And it's just beautiful down there. And we found this little cove area. And when anybody around, man, it was just us. It was real quiet and serene. And we said, man, this is it. So we're going to have a picnic on the boat. We're going to get out and, and float around and swim in the water. We're just having a blast. And so we, we pull the boat over there and we get everything all ready. And we're getting ready to go swim. And I tell one of the kids, throw the anchor out, man. So he grabs the anchor and, whoosh, you know, splashes go down. And so we go out and we're swimming and having a good old time uh, laughing. And I start to look and after a while and I'm thinking, man, that boat is, it's way over there. What happened? And so I swim over there looking for the anchor and there ain't no anchor. And so I yelled at my son who threw the anchor out. And I'm not going to tell you what son it was, okay? It was not the younger one or the middle one, but I will not tell you who did it. And I said, did you throw the anchor out? He goes, yeah, man, I threw the anchor out. And what he did not do is he didn't look and see if the rope was attached to the boat. So, this anchor, the truth of the word of God, it ain't going nowhere. But you've got to attach yourself to it. And if you don't, you're going to drift. And early on, it'll be unnoticed. And you'll keep drifting and drifting and drifting until you wake up one day in Toledo. Oh. 